0: o oh, the vakathamritam Kavibhiriritam jivanam kavibhiritam kalmashapaham Sravana Mangalam Srimadatam Bhuvigranantiye Bhuridajana So today we will take up the first three slokas of the Srimad Bhagavatam. They are considered to be the invocatory slokas of the Srimad Bhagavatam. So it's our tradition that whenever we start a text, there should be some invocation, Mangalacharnam. So this first three slokas of the Bhagavatam has been dedicated as the invocatory verses of this great scripture. So it is one of the greatest books of the Bhakti tradition. The word Bhagavatam means that which deals with Bhagavan, the blessed supreme being. So this stupendous work, that huge work, it consists of about 18,000 verses. And this is actually divided in 12 books called Skandhas, 12 Skandhas. And in total, there are about 18,000 verses. And the subject matter of this entire Bhagavatam is pure love, the nature of pure love, how one can acquire it. And it has been exemplified by the lives of the saints and the sages that illustrate that love in that various forms. So we have already Uh, dedicated two classes for the introduction of the Srimad Bhagavatam, that what is the nature of the Bhakti that has been enunciated in the Bhagavatam, Srimad Bhagavatam. So now today we will just enter into the invocatory verse, the very first verse. And first we will read out and then just try to understand its meaning and have a discussion to have a thorough understanding of the sloka. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Janma Adi Asya Yatah Anvayat Itarath cha Artheshu Abhigya Swarat Tena Brahmarida Ya Adikavaye Mujyanti Yat Surayah Tejo Vari Mridam Yathah Vinimayah Yatra Trisargah Amrisha. Dhamna Satyam Param So the Sanskrit of Bhagavatam is extremely terse. It's a bit difficult to understand. But once you start understanding the Sanskrit of Bhagavatam, it is one of the sweetest verses in, in, in the entire Vedic in our entire Sanskrit literature. So, what it is speaking of? Janma Adi Yasya Yataha Janma Adi Asya Yataha means he from whom creation, etc. Janma Adi, creation, etc. By etc. is meant sustenance and dissolution. So, he from whom the creation, sustenance and dissolution of the universe takes place. So, that's the meaning of the very first phrase of the, this slogan, Janma Adi Asyayatah, Janma Adi Asyayatah. So he from whom the creation, the sustenance and the dissolution of the universe takes place. Anvayat itarata Cha artheshu. So what it means that he is both the anvaya, the material cause as well as the efficient, the instrumental cause what is meant by the material cause and the instrumental cause in the scripture they give the example of a potter when the potter is making a pot the potter himself is the instrumental cause he is the one who is going to make the pot and but he cannot make without ingredients so the clay is the ingredient so clay the ingredient is the material cause and the potter himself is the instrumental cause. So, if I think of the universe, that God is the one who has created it, then the question comes from what he made it. So, the scripture here is very specific by saying that there is nothing apart from him. He is the non dual ultimate reality, conscious principle. It is from him, from that conscious principle alone, the entire creation has been projected. There's no other thing apart from him. It's not that he needs some matter to create the universe. The thing which we see as matter is in reality, consciousness and consciousness alone. So that's what is being indicated in the second phrase, Anvayat Itarata cha artheshu. He's both the material as well as the instrumental cause of the entire creation. Now, being the creator, naturally it follows that he is Abhigya, omniscient. The one who is creating, he is bound to know the entire process of creation from whom the creation has emanated. So he is Abhigya, he is omniscient. He knows everything in details in particular. Swarad, so he is independent. So we will come to the discussion. First, let us go to the literal meaning. And then this each and every word is very significant. That what actually that independence means, that that we will come to the when we will just discuss in details, we will come to it. So he's Swarat, he's independent. Nothing can bind him. He is beyond all the cause and effect which we find by which the entire universe is as if bound. If you see anything, there must be cause for it. So the cause and effect. All the things in the world is bound by cause and effect. The one who is the ultimate creator, he is beyond this cause and effect. So that's by that is meant he swarat. he is independent. The next phrase is Tene rida ya muhyanti that he is the one who illumined the mind of Brahma with a Vedic revelation which is incomprehensible even to the gods. Tene So we will come to the discussion again from this. These are all the very pertinent ideas of the Vedic philosophy. Once you understand this, the um, idea from which the entire Bhagavatam will be emanating. Those as if have been condensed in the first three slokas. The entire philosophy is as if condensed there. So it needs a bit of discussion. First, let us go to the literal meaning and then we will come to the discussion. That the Brahma, he first created Brahma. The conscious principle, the Brahman, there's a difference between Brahman and Brahma. Brahma is the cosmic mind. The cosmic mind is not the ultimate conscious principle. This is the basic difference between the Oriental and the Western philosophy. In the Western philosophy, we will find again and again, the conscious principle is equated with the mind alone. There is a mind by which I mean the soul, the conscious ultimate conscious principle. But in Vedanta, it is only when you go beyond the mind, you transcend the mind, then only you can be aware of the ultimate conscious principle. It's the example which we can give at night, on a full moon night, when you see the entire earth to be illumined by the bright moon. Mystically, we may think that it is the moon which is illuminating the earth, but actually What's happening, we all know, is the sun which is illuminating the moon, and in turn, the reflected rays of the sun from the moon is illuminating the earth. Apparently, it may appear that the moon is luminous, but actually it is the sun which is not visible. That's the real cause of illumination. Similarly, the mind appears to be conscious, but actually it is inert, as inert as the IC chip of your computer. You see, when, if you just, uh, unless and until the bias voltage is passing, passing through the chips of your computer, they're just inert matter. The one who doesn't know what's its function, it will appear just like a dead log wood. The moment the current passes through it and through your keyboard, you can now operate the, this the software programming so the world of virtual reality will just start projecting out of it. So the mind actually is inner, just like the IC chip of your computer. It's only when it gets, it comes in association with the conscious principle, it appears to be illumined. Just in the full moon night, the way the moon appears to be illumined, but actually the real cause of illumination is the sun, which is not visible. It is the sun, which is illuminating the moon, which in turn is illuminating the earth. So similarly, the mind is being illumined by the conscious principle, which in turn illumines our body, our senses. And again, it projects out to illumine the entire universe. It's not the opposite. It's not that that the sun is giving light. And that's why I see. It is that my real conscious principle is the illumination even beyond the sun. The sun is illumined because my conscious principle is there to acknowledge, to assert, to subscribe uh, uh, that the sun gives light. Unless I say the sun gives light, even the sun itself doesn't know it gives light. It needs that conscious assertion to say that the sun gives light. So it is a conscious principle which is illuminating the entire universe. So that's being indicated that how it is illuminating, First, it finds expression as the cosmic mind. It is a cosmic mind which projects itself as the universe of this name and form. We will go to the discussion a little more elaborately after we just uh, read the entire sloka and understand it's just the literal meaning. The next is the example, a simile which has been given to explain that how this universe has been projected. From the conscious principle. Tejo, Vari, Mriram, Yatha, Vinimaya, Yatra, Trisarga, Amrisha. So, what happens in whom the three worlds superimposed appears to be real? It's not real. All these three worlds is our earth, our concept of heaven, and the, uh, uh, the concept of the other worlds. All this concept is actually this. All this uh, this entire universe is a superimposition. Just the way when the sun rays falls on the desert, and it express it finds expression as the mirage. So that's being indicated as an example here. Tejo Vari, miram yatha vinimaya. That just the way just the mirage is superimposed on the desert appears to be real. When you are passing through the desert, you're thirsty, you see a reservoir in a distance and you take it to be real. As you approach after some time, you find that it vanishes, it's not there. And then you know, it was a mere projection. So similarly the entire universe is a projection of that conscious principle, just the way the mirage is a projection of the desert unless the desert is not is there i can never see the reservoir that i need the desert as the substratum to see the reservoir so this desert is the substratum on which the mirage the reservoir is projected similarly that it is the conscious principle on which the entire universe is being projected it's not like milk becoming yogurt it is not parinama it is vivarta The ultimate principle remains as it is. There is no transformation. When I see the reservoir in the desert, the desert is in no way affected. The desert in no way has got converted into the reservoir. The desert remains as it is. Before my illusion, it was a desert. When I'm just having the delusion of the reservoir, it is still the desert. And when the delusion is over, still it remains the desert. It never changed. It's only because of the illusion for some time I was seeing it as the reservoir. When I see a snake in a rope, the rope is in no way getting changed to snake. It is, it was, it will be the rope. That is the trikal Avadita Satya. That in the past, in the present, in the future, unaltered, it remains the rope. Because of illusion, the, the moment the illusion dawned in, I saw this. I start seeing it as snake. The moment someone brings the torch and says, "See, it is not a snake," you are just deluding it to be snake. And then the delusion vanishes. It's not that the rope really becomes snake. It's because of the delusion. For some time, it was appearing as snake. So that's why snake is not satya, because. As long as the delusion is there, it appears a snake. It was not the snake. It will not be the snake only for the time being because of delusion, it appears to be snake. So it cannot be the truth. What is the truth? The rope is the truth. It was, it is, it will be the rope. So similarly, the conscious principle is the ultimate truth. It is the trikal avadita satya. It was, it is, it will be unaltered. There's no alteration in it. All the creation which we see is just like the spectrum the light falling on the prism. The prism is like the cosmic mind. The sunlight is falling on it, the conscious principle, it breaks into the spectrum of the seven colors. Similarly, the conscious principle, when it gets associated with the cosmic mind and that cosmic mind itself has been emanated, has been projected by the conscious principle. And now this cosmic mind in association with the conscious principle projects this, Universe of name and form. It's a spectrum of name and form which has been projected. So that's the idea which is being indicated by saying Tejo Vari Miram Yatha Venimaya. Just like a mirage. Yatra Tri Sargaha Amrisha. He's beyond the three. All the three uh, states of rea- this or time. The past, the present, the future. is beyond that. Dhamna Suvena Sada. So he is the one who is established in his own state. There is no alteration in him. There is no parinama. He is always in his own state. is established. Nirastha kuhaka. In him there is no delusion. The delusion belongs to the one who is being projected. In the When I am a part of the projected reality, the ignorance belongs to me. But not to the one from whom the entire universe has been projected. So he is nirastha kuhaka. There, no, he is beyond all delusions. Nirastha means disarmed. Kuhaka means delusion. The one in whom the this, all the delusion has been disarmed. He is beyond all delusion. And at last he says, these all are the adjectives which has been spoken of. Of what? It, it is that ultimate reality. Satyam Param absolute reality on which I meditate. It is that supreme, dhimahi is the meditation. On that supreme truth, we meditate. So this is the uh, the literal meaning of the sloka, the very first sloka of the Bhagavatam. So you will find that it actually speaks of jnana, the knowledge of the ultimate reality, which the Veda also speaks of. So. This is the thing with which the Bhagavatam is starting. So it's a thing uh, in the, as per the tradition, you have to start with a mangala charanam, an auspicious start. So this first verse is a mangala Charanam of the Bhagavatam. before starting the de- describing the Leela, the divine play of an avatar of the various avatars of the various divine incarnations, it starts with an mangala charanam. So Bhagavat entire Bhagavad is auspicious. There was actually no need for invocation. Then why it has been that, that this invocation sloka has been composed by Vyasa? So just to follow the tradition. Otherwise, as Sri Ramakrishna used to say, this book is full of auspicious words. It speaks of the Lord and Lord alone. Sri Ramakrishna used to say very nicely that is sugar, candy. Tastes sweet, whether you eat it from the top or from the bottom, from the right or from the left. It tastes sweet. So this Bhagavatam, from wherever you may just pick out a portion, start reading it. It's sweetness. It's full of sweetness. But still, some auspiciousness has been chanted at the very beginning, separately, to follow the tradition. So now, this in this sloka, We will find actually the ultimate reality, the essential as well as the superimposed characteristic of the ultimate reality has been spoken of. So even in the Brahma Sutra, they speak of two, these two characteristics of the ultimate reality, the Brahman. What are they? The Swarupa Lakshana and the Tatastha Lakshana. Tatastha Lakshana and Swarupa Lakshana. What it means? Swarupa Lakshana means essential characteristic and Tatastha Lakshana means superimposed characteristic. So what is the Swarupa Lakshana? The last, at last it has been spoken, the Satyam Param Mahi. We meditate on that supreme truth, truth, that alone, the Satyam which has been spoken of is alone the Swarupa Lakshana. It's very interesting. It actually is not that simple the essential characteristic and the Tattastha the superimposed characteristic. In our day-to-day life, whatever we are perceiving, these two things are involved. What is the Swarupa lakshana and what is the Tattastha Lakshana? Let us give a common example. When I'm seeing a red flower, and I'm seeing a red flower, the examples helps us uh, to understand these all these terse ideas. These ideas can be quite, uh, what you say this, uh, as if academic. So we can understand it with the help of examples. Let's take a red flower. We say the flower is red, but actually is the flower red? Even with an ordinary science, it will be understood that the flower is actually not red. Sunlight falls on the flower. All this light has various, uh, the spectrums, various vibrations, various wavelengths of light, these various wavelengths of light is falling on the flower. All the wavelengths of light are absorbed, a particular wavelength is reflected back. Know it for certain, it has no color, they are just vibrations, there is no color. A particular wavelength of vibration is reflected back, it comes and touches your eyes. The light, the red color which I see in the flower is not entering from the flower into my brain. The brain, which is the organ through which the mind is working. Very interesting. The function of the light stops at your retina. The light can never enter your brain. The brain is the darkest part of your body. No light enters there. The light just touches your retina and it immediately gets converted into some optic nervous current. There's an optic nerve through which particular frequency of nerve current is passing. When it reaches the brain and it reaches the color perception center, it is actually not the color perception center. It is actually the color projection center. What is reaching there, not the light. It is just a particular wavelength of your nerve optic nerve current. It is just a nerve impulse, just like the computer. When you are typing A, like press the uh, keyboard and you press the A, it is not that the A comes directly in the screen. The A is getting converted into zero and one, nothing else. That zero one again is being decoded. First it is encoded. And then again, it is decoded and in screen it appears as A. The same thing is happening here. With the, nowadays with a computer we can understand the working of the mind in a much better way So what is happening the light which has fallen on your retina that is getting converted into a nerve current that nerve current when it reaches the color perception center the color is actually projected out from there and it reaches the and it envelops the flower to give that sensation that it is red that redness is actually projected by your mind. So now all our perceptions you will find is actually the projection of the mind. When I say the flower is red, it is actually not red. Actually what it is, we can never know. There is something, but I can never know what it is with my senses. With my mind, with my senses, I can never know. But what I cannot deny is that that it is not that it is there is not, that uh, it is nothing there is something but i cannot through my mind and senses it gets colored it gets tinged its real essence i don't know but in essence something is there so that is the thing which the vedanta is asserting in essence the universe at last is the conscious principle Our mind and senses are projecting it into this world of this color, of sound, whatever I'm hearing, seeing, touching, tasting. All these are the projections of the mind. Mind is not something which is just seeing the things as it is. There is something. I don't know what it is. It is always unknowable. The moment the mind tries to understand it, decipher its reality, it is colouring it. That's how our minds are. We all understand, it's a very simple way of understanding that we are colouring. So you will now understand what is superimposition, that there is something, the scripture will say in essence it is the conscious principle, consciousness and consciousness alone, which is being interpreted as this world of name and form, my mind is interpreting it. So what is the Swarupa Lakshana essential characteristic? The Satyam. The truth that is there. Something is there. That is the truth. That is the Swarupa Lakshana. Everything else is the Tatastha. This universe of name and form. Tatastha means what? The word Tatastha is very interesting. Tatastha means by the shore. And The Tata means suppose you are sitting in your house and you uh, just some guest has come and you say, you know, my house is very near to the river, and the guest asks, where is the river? Now, immediately you cannot show the river. So what you do, you say there. you just see the tree, that's nearby that some tree is there, just on the shore of the tree, just by the side of the tree, the river is flowing. It is that near. It's not visible from here, but the tree you see, it is just by the side of the tree, the river is flowing. Tatastha, just Tata, Tata means by the shore. So here, by seeing the tree, I can just infer that there is a river flowing by it. So similarly, all this sight, sound, smell, touch, whatever sensations we are having, all these sensations indicates that behind it, something in essence is there. That I cannot deny. if nothing was there, it is as good as hallucinating. It is not hallucination. When I just simply close my eyes and try to imagine something, there is nothing. It is just mere imagination. When I say the world is not real, it doesn't mean it is a mere imagination. Something is there, which is being interpreted as some as this world of name and form. So these all are the Tatasthalakshana, that whatever I see, that all indicates that behind all these perceptions, something is there, which in essence is the Satya. That is the Satyam Param, absolute truth. We meditate on that. So in this sloka, the Satyam Param Dhimahi, this indicates the essential characteristic of that absolute reality. All others are the adjectives, the Tata Selection, the superimposed characters. So what are those superimposed characters? That he from whom the creation, sustenance and dissolution of the universe takes place. Janmadi Asya Yataha. The same thing has been spoken of in the Chandogya Upanishad, in all the Upanishads. In Chandogya Upanishad there is this mantra. Khalvidam Brahma. Whatever you are saying. Sarva, khalu idam Brahma. Whatever you see, whatever you perceive is that ultimate reality is the Brahman and Brahman alone. And the next phrase is very interesting. Jalan Iti Shanta Upasita. Nowadays we speak of acronyms that you just use the alphabets to explain something just like nowadays we use "rain" RAIN RAIN just to give an example. It's an acronym for this mindfulness. What? The, REN says the R of the REN is, means you recognize your emotion. A means accept it. Don't try to run away from it. I means investigate its nature. And then N means negate or note. So R-A-I-N, REN, actually is an acronym, which actually means something uh, uh, else, which is more subtle. So here you will find the same acronym is used in the Upanishad mantras. The Tatjalan is an acronym. Tatjalan. If you break it, what was? Tat means from that. Ja means jayate. La means liyate. An means aniyate. That from which the universe has came, jayate has been born. La liyate. It again merges into that. And an means in which it sustains. Aniyate means sustenance. So, see how wonderfully in the Upanishad we find that acronym, Tajalan Iti Shanta Upasita. Knowing that whatever you see is actually that Brahma. Which, what is that Brahman which from which this universe has been projected, in which it is sustained, in which again it merges? Knowing that, don't get identified with the changes of the world, with the flow, be detached from it. It's all that you are the spectator. The things which you are seeing is just a flow. Don't get identified with that. And the one you can get detached, that speaks of Shanta. That makes you calm. Nothing can disturb you. So knowing the Brahman to be the one from which the entire existence has been projected, in it it is sustained, in it it dissolves. So this is just a mere flow. But the one who is behind it is always there, knowing that just worship, being calm, that will bring you the calmness in this world. In spite of all the flow, all the changes that are going on, nothing can affect you if you can be on the shore watching the flow. Not getting, not you are not in the uh, flow. You are not getting drenched in the flow. You are apart from it, sitting in the shore watching the flow. You are the witness. So that's the idea. When in the Upanishad has been indicated when they are saying that Sarvang Kalvidang Brahma tad Jalaniiti Shanti Upasita, knowing that, be calm in and just go on meditating. So that's the same idea is being indicated when they in this sloka they use the phrase Janamadi Asya From Him the entire universe is being emanated. It is in which it is sustained. In which it emerges, the immediately we will have that idea. That most probably that the Brahman is getting converted to the universe. To negate that idea, so it's uh, these Upanishads, the slokas are being constructed in such a way that it won't leave you any scope for misunderstanding. That I may think there is a parinama, there is a transformation, just like the way the milk gets converted into yogurt. So like that the Brahman has got converted into the universe. To deny that fact, the next word is used is anvayat itarata cha artheshu. It is both the material as well as the instrumental cause. How is it possible? That only when something is superimposed, otherwise it's not possible that when something is superimposed, then that the thing on which it has been superimposed can be the material as well as the instrumental cause. Just, we were giving that example, when you see a rope in a, when you see a snake in a rope, the rope is never been transformed. It is the same rope on which the snake is superimposed. Do you need some other material apart from the rope to create that snake? No, it is the same rope. It is a material as well as the instrumental cause. So in the Upanishad, also the same idea is being spoken of in the Mundaka Upanishad. They give a very wonderful example. What? Yathur Nanabhi Srijate Grinhatcha. Yatha Prativyam Oshadhaya Sambhavanti. Yatha Sata Purushat keshalomani Yatha Aksharat Sambhavati Vishwam, sambhavati Vishwam. What is it speaking of? That how. Can a thing be the material as well as the instrumental cause? Just like a spider. And the spider weaves the cobweb. From where it is creating the cobweb? From itself, its own saliva. With that, it is creating the cobweb. So for the spider, for the spider net, the spider itself is the material as well as instrumental cause. Just the way from your body, the hair comes out. These are the examples the Upanishad is giving. You are both the instrumental as well as the material cause. From your body, the hairs are coming out. You don't need any other material for the growth of the hair or the way the vegetation comes out from the soil. So these are the examples which the Upanishads are giving. So he's both the material as well as the instrumental cause of the entire creation. And he's abhigya, he's omniscient. He, being the creator, he knows just the way the programmer knows that entire, all the steps of the programming. In a video game, that I, for me, it may be a challenge, it may be a challenge that how to uh, just go to the goal or to the destination. But the one who has programmed, he knows that what's the step to be followed to just go to the conclusion go to the ultimate solution so similarly the one who has programmed the universe first that conscious principle found expression as the cosmic mind in which the entire programming is already there which is being projected out as the universe so naturally he is omniscient avigya and who is independent swarat so this what we by swarat is means that the creation in way in no way affects him. Just the way the snake, which you see on the rope, that snake in no way can bite the rope. Can it bite the rope? No. It's just a mere projection. The water, the huge reservoir, which I see while traveling on a desert, such a huge reservoir I see. Has the, river, reservoir, that, has the, has the reservoir any capacity to drench even a single sand particle of the desert? No. Is a mere projection. Similarly, the one from whom the entire creation has been projected, he is in no way affected by the creation. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say very nicely, the snake, its poison, uh, when it bites someone else, that poison can affect the person who has been beaten. But the snake, the same snake, which is carrying the poison always in its fangs, it never gets affected by that poison so similarly the ultimate reality from whom this delusion has emanated he is not deluded he is beyond the delusion so who illumined the, the next thing they have told that is the one who has illumined tene brahma rida ya adikavaye muhyanti Yatsurayaha. so the one that who has illumined the mind of brahma This is the thing which is very interesting. The conscious principle finds expression as the cosmic mind, and then the creation comes. All our scriptures speaks of that. This is the thing which with our shallow scientific knowledge we can never understand. We think that the consciousness is an epiphenomenon, that the matter and energy is there as the ultimate reality, It has conglomerated and accidentally consciousness has came, which is nowhere there in the universe. Only in this earth we find the living beings which appears to be conscious. It's an epiphenomenon. Somehow the matter has conglomerated to evolve as consciousness. That's what with our shallow understanding of our science, we have an idea. The scripture says just the opposite. The consciousness alone is the phenomenon is the reality everything else is epiphenomenon it's very difficult to understand that how it is being spoken how it is how it can be true but now with the advancement of the science you can get an inkling of it in the quantum in the quantum physics there is a wonderful experiment called the double slit experiment it's a wonderful experiment which speaks that unless there is an observer, there cannot be no tangible reality. The thing which I'm seeing solid, just let us try to understand that I'm sitting here in front of me, there's a table, I say it is solid. Is it really solid? Even with your basic science, you will understand it is not solid. Just with your basic science, let us try to understand that at last, if I try to break down this matter, this table, what it will be broken down to at last the molecules, the atoms, the atoms. Again, it, it has the subatomic particles. The, the, it has a nucleus with the neutrons and the protons and the electrons are as if revolving around it. It's a very basic science. Uh, of course, uh, the science is much more sophisticated, but let us take this basic science, which we have studied in our school. Now, very interesting that this at this solid thing which is made up of atom that atom has a nucleus with the electrons moving around now what's that, that uh, what's the distance between the nucleus and the electrons very interesting and most of the place is space you know if you really try to enlarge an atom to the size of a football ground So what will be the space between the neutron and the electrons? Very interesting. They say that if you enlarge any atom, even of the heaviest metal, at last you will find it is all space. The neutron is just the size of the football in the center of the ground. And the electron is as if someone is running around the stadium. The entire field is empty. So how can then we just say that this is solid? Why we perceive it as solid is a limitation of our senses. You will also understand with a very common example, you know, when the fan is revolving, the between the blades, the space is the thing which is more prevalent. The blades occupy less space. It is the space is the thing which is more. But when the fan starts revolving, what you see, you see just a disc, isn't it? That our eye doesn't have the capacity to see that fast motion, this is the retention power of the eye. What it is, something is in front of your eye, it moves out, something comes immediately. Immediately, the, both the things will get superimposed. To give a very common example, we used to do it in the school. Take a paper, on one side of it, you draw a cage, the, on the other side, you draw a bird and just fix a stick in such a way that the page goes on turning. Once you see the bird and the next moment you see the cage. It's a very common experiment we all did in school. You will see the bird in the cage. The moment you start revolving, but actually the bird is not in the cage. In one side you have drawn the bird, in the other side you have the cage. It is because of the retention power of your eyes that if a thing moves out from your vision and something comes within a very short time, these two get superimposed. The entire movie which we are seeing is because of this retention power of eyes. Actually, all are still pictures moving very fast, giving you the idea of motion. There's no motion. Our retention power is different from that of the dog. Sometimes you will find it is very difficult to keep the dog sit in front of your TV and watch the TV because it sees nothing. It sees just the dots. Its retention power is different. And as a result, what happens? It cannot see the picture. So just see how our Indriyas are constituted. Why I'm saying that? It is because of the limitation of the senses. I cannot see that tremendous motion. Even you will find in the Max Planck University uh, in France, uh, in the max in, yeah in the max planck university in germany there is in front of it there is the statue of Nataraja. you know why because in the quantum mechanics they find that the way it has been discussed in our scripture it so much tallies with the quantum mechanics that that what is the uh, nataraja what it depicts that Shiva is dancing at a tremendous pace, tremendous speed. But at any moment, you will look at his face, it is meditative, it is calm. And in one hand, he is having vara, he is as a blessing, the entire creation, and in another, abhaya. There is nothing to fear. But in this tremendous motion, somehow, that what appears is to be very calm, everything stable. Because of the tectonic movements anytime there can be earthquake, but we are so sure my house has a strong foundation, nothing is going to happen. But constantly this motion is going on, tectonic movement is going on. Anytime there can be earthquake, everything can just simply shatter. Earth is moving at a tremendous speed. We think we are sitting here quietly observing the sky. Even that your aeroplane cannot move at that speed. At that speed, the earth is revolving. Everywhere you find motion. Our Indriyas doesn't have the capacity to see that. I see everything calm and quiet on which I can sustain myself. That is, that speaks of the Vara and the Abhaya. is giving you Abhaya in, in spite of this speed. It is you who can be sustained. So that's the image. That's why it's been kept in front of the Max Planck University. So here also you will find our, because of the limitation of our indriyas, I am seeing it as a solid structure. Then you may say, if uh, it is not solid. My hand is supposed to penetrate through the table. Why does it happen? It is actually the interaction of fields. Just the way a positive uh, proton won't allow another positive proton to come near it. It will ripple. The fields ripple each other. So it is actually the fields of the various atoms by which I am constituted that is being rippled by the field here, which doesn't allow me to penetrate. And I see it as solid because of the limitation of my vision. And that's how the Indriya's limitation makes me feel it solid, but nothing is solid. Everything is in tremendous motion. And that's what has been spoken of even in the quantum physics with the help of that, this double slit experiment. It's a very wonderful experiment. That just now we spoke that the electrons are moving. Now I may have an idea that the electrons at least are the matter, the science now try to really find out that what the electrons are. So for this that double slit experiment with the electron gun when the electron is spread out to find out what is its real nature. So what the experiment is that there are two screens, one screen behind that another screen is there. In the first screen, there are two slits, two windows. Now when I am spraying something where there are two slits. So if these are matter, this matter will enter through these two slits and it will go and hit the second screen and I will get two spots. But if it is a wave, suppose the wave of water is coming through the two windows, then what will happen? This one wave will interact with the other wave and when it reaches the second screen where the top of one wave gets synchronized with the top of other wave there, I will get a huge surge, huge wave, and where the top of one wave gets uh, what you say this uh, uh, comes in touch with the trough of the other wave, there it will be totally nullified. One the top will nullify the bottom. So you will have dark and light bands, some light band will be there, dark band will be there. If it is energy, if it is matter, I am supposed to get two spots on the second screen. Now the experiment starts. Both First one slit is closed, one slit is open, the electron beams are being shot from the electron gun and on the second screen they find a spot. So now they think that yes the electrons must be matter. The same experiment now they conduct by opening both the slits. Now I should get two spots, the electrons which is moved from the one slit it will make one spot from the other slit it will make another spot. now, the scientists are really confused. When they open both the windows, they see light and dark bands, which speaks that this is electron, this electron gun, which through which the electrons has been spread, it is actually energy. It is actually energy. Now, they're really confused. Is electron matter or is it, an, is it energy? So, now the third. Experiment on the same double slit is very interesting. Now they keep both the slits open, and there they on the first on the first screen on which the two slits are, they keep a camera to see what's happening in the second screen. The moment they keep a camera to watch what's going on, a very interesting thing happens. Though both the slits are open, now they find two spots. This has actually given a wonderful eye, this new idea revelation in the quantum physics. What's that? The moment someone is observing, the probability, the wave is a probability. The probability collapses into reality. So you have to have an observer where the probability collapses into reality. So now you will find it's a wonderful thing. The mind comes into picture as the observer. Very interesting, in our scripture they say, Brahma is that Animesha. These words are very interesting. Animesha. Animesha means what? One, see, uh, we are our eyes constantly, that we, we will be, what is the eyelids are constantly. We are our, uh, goes on closing. It's, it is never open constantly. Eyelids fall. Constantly it falls. Animesha means one whose eyelids are always open. It never closes. Animesha. Very interesting. Now, the, if someone is observing, then only the probability collapses into reality. The moment someone is not observing, it is just a probability. So one has to be observing it constantly without any interruption. That's why Brahma with his four heads, it's not only in one direction, in all the directions, he is observing animation. Just see how it this our mythology is actually speaking the science, the language is different, and we don't understand. So unless there's an observer, there cannot be any creation. So there's this creation to the the, the causal, the the conscious principle to project itself as the universe has to first find expression as the cosmic mind. Now you will find that the matter how it comes, it is an epiphenomenon. Consciousness is the thing which is a must, which is a fundamental entity without which you cannot think of matter. It collapses into reality. The reality is something it has, the probability has collapsed. In uh, science to explain it, in quantum physics to explain it, they give a wonderful example. What's the example? That how to understand this, uh, this idea that it collapses into reality. They say suppose in a school, in a classroom, the teacher is not there. And the students are just jumping all around, making a lot of noise. The headmaster from his office understands. was hearing the noise. He immediately understands that in the classroom, no one is sitting in their place. They're all jumping, frolicking. Now, just to see what's happening in the class, he comes down the corridor. He comes out of his office, comes down the corridor. And by the time he stands in front of the, in the door of the classroom, he finds all are quiet. The students have taken their positions seeing the headmaster. The moment the headmaster is there, just by his observance, all the chaos has stopped. They have just taken their own seats, sitting quietly. So this is how the moment there is an observer, the probability collapses into reality. So you need something that the cosmic mind, which in which the entire thing has been programmed. In the previous example, we told that the red which I'm seeing is actually in the mind. Now, very interesting thing. When I say flower is red, you also say yeah, the flower is red. Which speaks of a common mind. Why? Because the redness is something which I am projecting. You could have projected it in a different way. The color blinds, you know that those who have aberration, aberrances, those who have aberrations are actually not aberrations. Even in modern psychology, you will find those who have these mental defects. The doctors never say he has a defect, he has a disease. They say he is a bit different. We are all projecting. We are all projecting in the same way. So we have a consent. It is called consensus reality. My reality, your reality. Actually, Both are projection. Both are projection. Both are not reality. But all the majority says, yes, this is red. So this becomes a consensus reality. Only a few, those whom we call have diseased, they are projecting in a different way. That's why in the modern medical science, they say they are different. They never say they're diseased. They are a bit different. They're projecting in a different way. If all would have been projected that way, it's just like voting. We would have voted that to be the reality. It is a consensus reality. So as we can relate in this world, my perceptions, you say, yes, what you perceive, I also perceive. It speaks of a common mind of which we all form a part. So that's the mind of the Brahma, from which all the minds, just like a server computer connected with a network in all so many computers. So Brahma is like the server computer. We are all those individual pieces. So he is the one from whom the entire universe has been emanated. The all that how the universe will be projected that is already designed in the cosmic mind. When I am sleeping, nothing I am seeing, the moment I open my eyes, the entire universe is revealed. What has happened? All those ideas of redness, all those ideas were already in my mind. They were, when I was was sleeping, they were all in my potential mind, they were hidden. It needed only the perception, just the way, as long as you're not pressing the keyboard, nothing is on the screen. The moment you press, immediately you see in the screen of your computer. So this keyboard is like the senses all the sense organs are like the keyboards. So when the moment, the perception happens, I see. And what I see, which is already being, when I press A, the computer is in such a way programmed, I will see A in the screen. Not only me, anyone, anyone in their computer will press A. So it means all the computers as per the basic hardware is concerned are all programmed in the same way. So that's the idea of the cosmic mind from which the entire universe has been projected so the ultimate conscious principle first at the very beginning projects itself as brahma this brahma is the cosmic mind with the, with all the revelations with the vedic revelations and which is in, incomprehensible even to the gods muhyanti yat suraya what are the gods they are the partial manifestation of that absolute reality When in the Vedic age, they saw the nature, various forces of nature, they personified them. That the God of rain is Indra, God of wind is Pavana. This personification of the natural forces, these are a particular aspect of the creation. So gods are the personification of the particular aspect of all the natural forces. So they come later. First the cosmic mind, the entire universe has already been programmed. From it, the various aspects has been projected. So that's why what's in the cosmic mind is even incomprehensible to the gods, what to speak of ordinary human beings. So he has created that first. So in whom all the three worlds are superimposed appears to be real. So it's a superimposition, just as we told now, the cosmic mind is like the prism, the ultimate conscious principle is like the, sun or the white light, the moment it passes through the prism, it breaks into the spectrum. So all these worlds, which is being projected, is because of the white light passing through that prism. So similarly, Brahma is like that prism, the cosmic mind, which is in association with the conscious principle breaks into the spectrum of this, all these three worlds it's all the mere projection of that ultimate reality that's why that's what is meant by yatra trisarga amrisha and then the example comes of the mirage tejo vari miram yatha venimaya just the way the mirage is superimposed on a desert appears to be real so it's just a mere projection so not a real transformation who is always established in his own state that's what we were telling, that, that uh, the desert is in no way affected by the mirage. Not a single sand particle can be drenched by the reservoir, a huge reservoir which I'm seeing. So it is always established in its own state. Everything else is a mere projection. Nirastakuhaka. As long as you are in the spectrum, you're deluded by the spectrum. But if you are one with the white light, you know that all this projection is happening because of this prism. On the one side of the prism, you find the spectrum on the other side of the prism is a white light. So the moment you can transcend the mind, this spectrum no more can delude you. So that is the meaning of the word nirasta kuhaka which we gave that example in the that Sri Ramakrishna is saying that the snake's poison kills other, but it doesn't harm the snake. It is beyond the delusion. The snake superimposed on the rope cannot bite the rope. Water superimposed on the desert cannot drench even a single particle of the sand. That's what is meant by nirastakuhaka. Yatra, trisarga, amrisha. Through the presence of that, the whole world ceases to be unreal. As long as it is there, the entire projection, though it is a projection, it is real as long as the substratum is there. As long as the desert is there, the mirage is there. If the desert is not there, the mirage is not there. As long as the rope is there, I see the snake. If the rope is not there, snake is not there. So this projection, which I am seeing, gets its reality because of that absolute reality, the Satyam, which has been spoken of as the essential truth. Sri Ramakrishna, a very nice way is to say that if you go on adding zeros after one, the value goes on increasing. 1000 10000 100000 million it will go on increasing you remove the one everything is zero so if you go on adding zeros after one value increases but remove the one all value ceases that's what sri ramakrishna is saying so it is he who is the one everything else is zero he only gives as long as he is there as the one we may say that this universe has its value some may be a partial representation may have one zero, I may say he's just 10, someone is 100, someone may be 1000, someone may be million, but remove the one, everything is zero. So that's the idea, Yatra, Trisharga, Amrisha. That without him, everything ceases to exist. So these are the ideas, all these, you will find very interesting, that the ultimate reality, which is Satyam is spoken of, I can never know its nature. But all these other things which has been spoken of, which speaks of that as long as that ultimate, the Satyam is there, then only I can see this as the universe. So that's how the first Sloka, you will find, though it's a Bhakti scripture, at the very beginning, it is speaking of the ultimate reality. It's all that, it is. A, it speaks of the Jnana, the knowledge, it's based on that how based on that the Bhakti can evolve, that's the wonder of the Bhagavatam scripture. It will come. But at the very beginning, it speaks of that ultimate reality, which is almost, which is just the same echo of the Upanishads, of the ultimate Vedanta. That's why Bhagavatam actually became a scripture of the householders much later. Because if you study the Bhagavatam, each chapter ends with this this Paramahamsa Samhitaya, that it is the samhita of the Paramahamsa of the sannyasis. It was a scripture of the sannyasis. Gradually, it became uh, when uh, it started to be narrated to all. It became the scripture for all. But actually, it is a scripture which speaks of the ultimate reality, which ha- which we can which we can relate to through devotion. Where the scripture has been actually propagated by Shukadeva, though Vyasa has written it. Shukadeva, when we come to that chapter we will find, he is the jnani of the jnanis. He was established in uh, his knowledge. He was always in samadhi. From there he was brought down to preach this Bhagavatam. So you will then understand that actually it is based on that that the jnana, the, that knowledge. How to Translate that knowledge into devotion. That's the thing, which is the uniqueness of Bhagavatam. In the next two slokas, we will get an idea of it. So we will continue uh, with the invocatory verses. The first three verses, which somehow just had an idea of the first verse, uh, something some, a little more has to be discussed on the first verse before we proceed to the second and the third verse. We will take up again in the next class, the second and the third verse too. Continue with our study of the invocatory verses of the Bhagavatam. With this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you. Namaskar. We again continue with this on the next class.